And we are live, folks. So it's the end of the year. So instead of the standard topics we tend to cover on this podcast, we're going to use this occasion to talk about uh, movies, TV, pop culture in general. Was 2022 a turning point for the streaming service model? Did Tom Cruise put a stake in the heart of woke Hollywood? And will Avatar 2 turn a profit? We're going to be talking about all of this and more with our special guest, Christian Toto, on episode 378 of the In the Tank podcast. That is right, folks. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing just great. I hope everybody listening and on the program today had a very Merry Christmas. I did. Fantastic. And our special guest for the end of the year podcast. This is the third time in a row that we've had you for the end of the year, the last episode of the year. Christian Toto, who is a film critic and creator of Hollywood in Toto. You can find his work at HollywoodInToto.com. Christian, thank you for being with us. I think I'm a tradition now. Three three times in a row. It's that's you can't fake that. I, I think that's the longest running tradition we have on the podcast. So you should, uh, you should. Uh, well, I mean, other than your jokes, not being funny. That's, that's <laughs> oh, oh, good point. Yes. That's a daily one, a uh, weekly one. All right. So before we get into anything though, I do have to put that message out there to all of our audio only listeners that are probably catching the show on a Friday or later. You can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time on YouTube or rumble or Twitter or Facebook and join us live and throw your comments and questions in the live chat. Maybe we'll throw your comments on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, a little bit more uh, housekeeping thing, just one more item. We are about, um, I think, less than two months away from the Heartland Institute's 15th International Conference on Climate Change taking place on February 23rd to the 25th in Orlando, Florida. Tickets are still available. If you uh, if you want to secure your tickets now, you can go to heartland.org, and there's a little featured image there at the top you can click on, or you can go to climateconference.heartland.org for more information about that. Jim, I keep seeing these uh, emails going around about this conference, and it seems like you're securing more and more interesting guests and events for the event. Anything you want to elaborate on? Well, I mean, there's an early bird rate. You get a discount if you... Uh, so when, the, when you see the ball drop in uh, Times Square... That's when our early bird discount ends. So it ends at midnight on uh, New Year's Eve. So if you want to save a little money uh, and get to this conference, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I just get more excited each day as we uh, book more uh, big name speakers. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast last week, uh, one of the uh, gentlemen we have speaking is a man named uh, Jeff Clark. He headed up the uh, environmental and uh uh, gosh, I just wrote it down to it. I can't remember exact title, but he was in the Justice Department of the Trump administration and he basically ran the environmental and natural resources. That's it. Uh, division of the Department of Justice. Uh, he was instrumental in getting the landmark West Virginia versus EPA case seen before the Supreme Court, which was a victory 
for uh, reining in an out-of-control environmental protection agency. And what's troubling is that the Biden administration is pretending pretty much that that decision was never handed down by the Supreme Court and are just moving along, imposing their policies anyway, despite the fact that West Virginia EPA was supposed to rein in that kind of abuse of power uh, by the administrative state. So he will be there to talk about that. Uh, we have some of the top scientists in the world that will be there um, that do not believe that humans are causing a climate crisis. And, you know, one of the things that we have on our side, I, if you want to call it that, our side of the climate debate, are people who disagree. And uh, that's to be encouraged, especially if you're a scientist and your pursuit is truth and not dogma. And so we're going to have a, a, a kind of interesting uh, debate on taxing carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, most people who are climate realists, as we call ourselves, are against taxing carbon dioxide as a way to reduce how much CO2 we put into the atmosphere as, as a society. But some on our side think it's a good idea. It's been sold or it's being sold uh, by many as a market-based solution to, to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. And so we're going to have one person who is, uh, again, on our side of the debate on just about all the other questions, uh, in favor of a carbon dioxide tax and somebody uh, on the other side. And so it'll be a very, that alone will be a very interesting conversation. But if you can't come to Orlando, Florida from February 23rd to the 25th to be there in person, all of it will be live streamed on Heartland's YouTube page. That's uh, youtube.com slash the Heartland Institute. So I hope even if you can't be there in person, you'll enjoy this uh, fantastic conference in a couple of months. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you are north of the what Mason Dixon line uh, in the middle of February, I think you're going to want to be down in Florida. So there's <laughs> instead of freezing up here in, in Chicago with all of us, but uh, so anyways, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about here. This is a special episode. Like I said, getting to get to talk about some of the stuff I like wearing my little star Wars sweater here, uh, <laughs> fairly new sweater. So I want to get into all of this stuff and more like I teased at the, in the intro, we want to talk about the rough patch that the streaming services seem to be going through, the reemergence, seemingly, of the uh, theaters post-COVID. I want to talk about Top Gun, Star Wars, the industry itself. However, the thumbnail of this video has Avatar featured pretty prominently. Obviously, this is the biggest movie out there right now. Um, I think it has raked in a more than a billion dollars in its first 12 days. So it's on a, on a good trend to, to make some money here. So I think we should start off talking about this. So just in time for the podcast, I saw Avatar 2 yesterday. So it's fresh in my mind. I can talk all day about it if, if, uh, if we wanted to. We won't. Please, please don't. <laughs> but we could. So this is James Cameron's sequel to the record-smashing original that came out 13 years ago. The original crushed. I think in its original... 2009 run it made 2.7 billion dollars and since then james cameron has spent a decade of his life setting up a franchise for this movie so before we discuss avatar 2 uh christian i'm curious about your thoughts on the original that came out so long ago uh what, what were your thoughts about that you know i felt similarly to what i felt about this film visually spectacular some great action scenes uh, the 3D is actually good and worthwhile. I hate 3D in general, but I thought that the, James Cameron knows what to do with that technology. But, you know, do we love these characters? Is the story so compelling? We need to watch it again and again. I certainly don't think so. And, you know, it, it's funny, you know, he wanted this to be a franchise. He wanted to tell different stories within this universe. But to me, it's the same story as the first time. Evil humans, you know, try to plunder this planet 
and wipe out the locals and the locals fight back. I mean, it's a very simple story again, but uh, there's something that he is a showman. And I think that from on, on both films, it's they're fun to watch undeniably. So, uh, you know, it's the critic in me complains about the dialogue and this and that, but it's, it's, it's a roller coaster ride. Both of them. Now, has your mind changed uh, about the original since you originally saw it to today, or is it, was it pretty much consistent throughout? I guess it would be consistent. I haven't seen it recently. I've probably seen it about three times since it first came into theaters in 2009. Uh, you know, it's certainly less fun to watch at home. It's more fun in the theaters. And, I, and you know, watching the new one, I just was, I mean, I don't know if my jaw was literally dropping, but it it just looks so beautiful. It's so majestic. It's so lush. And, I, you know, what I like about the movie is that, you know, 90% of it is digital uh, there is some interaction with human and digital characters, but it felt very seamless to me. I never felt disconnected, like, oh, that's a special effect. It's just, mm -hmm. it's creating this world, and that that's what Cameron does. He he marshals the technology of the era to the best of, that anyone can do. Yeah, I, I, I remember when I saw the first one. Now, granted, this is 13 years ago. This is a much <laughs> younger uh, Donald Kendall than you <laughs> viewers know today. But I remember leaving the theater and being like, that movie changed my life. Like it was like wow. a pseudo religious experience seeing that movie. And that, that goes along with just the incredible effects and mm. the, the 3d that was just like groundbreaking at that time. I don't like 3d either. And there was actually times where I'd seen 3d movies on accidents. I'm like, Oh <laughs> crap, it's 3d. But that one like <laughs> just absolutely killed it. So mm. I loved the first movie, but then like a year passed that came out on DVD. And I remember, uh, uh, my, um, Somebody in my family had gotten it on DVD and we borrowed it because I loved it so much. I only saw it the one time in theaters. So we put the DVD in and uh, we got about 15, 20 minutes into it. And I was just like, do you want to watch something else? <laughs> and since then, I have never revisited Pandora. I've never mm -hmm. turned on Avatar again. And just like I had a growing apathy towards the franchise in general leading up to about a couple of months ago when this movie was coming out. And I couldn't care less about it. But then, like, you know, people started talking about it. Oh, it's actually pretty good. You know, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to see it because I like the first one in theaters. Mm -hmm. I know that the experience isn't going to be the same seeing it on uh, just like my TV in my living room. So we went out and saw it. And I really like the movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Everyone that's tuning into this, <laughs> hoping that I'm going to like hate on it or something like that. I actually really liked it. I, uh, the visuals are like, like you said. Uh, 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 stunning just like the first one to a whole new level even mm -hmm. uh, the, the thematically I thought it was like a, a beautiful film um, you know you talk about in your review some of the family dynamics that are in this one that are not so much in the first one um, all of these things just like made me actually care mm -hmm. about the movie um, now of course I've got a whole lot of negatives that we can get into but uh, if you want to talk about though some of those themes of like the, the family and the, the father-son relationship that seems to be pretty prominent in this yeah I mean this is a pro-family movie full stop there's I don't know how you could argue any way against that it's about this really tight-knit clan they will do anything for each other the parents will sacrifice they will you know they're they're very strict with the kids when they have to be uh, they're, they, they they love them beyond measure. Uh, they're willing to do whatever it takes to save them, to rescue them, to save their fellow uh, uh, Pandora uh, natives, uh, to save their new friends who are living near the water. So from all those points of view, it's very interesting. You know, we, we kind of, uh, you know, people on the right kind of complain about Hollywood and say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's 
know, not not respecting the nuclear family and it's got this message and that message. Well, James Cameron can be as woke as possible when he talks to the press. And he is. We could even get into that if you want to. But when it comes to actually making the movies, he knows what matters. And what matters is the razzle dazzle, obviously, but also this this tight knit family. And now we have to we have to root for them. We have to you know, we we fear when they're in, you know, in harm's way. And we, we love it when they reunite and we mourn when they mourn. And those sort of basic block elements are right in the story. And I think he I think that's in his DNA as well. The Cameron's got a lot of flaws as a filmmaker, but he, he gets it. And I think yeah. it's one of the reasons why this movie's doing so well. Yeah, so I, I, I've been a big James Cameron fan in general. Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. Um, but I know his limitations. Um, mm. I know, uh, first off, you can't even deny that he's like up there, at least in talks about like the Mount Rushmore of, of mm. filmmaking. He broke all the records over and over again. Mm. Uh, Titanic was just incredible success uh, box office wise, even when everyone was naysaying it. Yeah. Uh, it stayed in theaters for over a year or something crazy like that. Uh, Avatar comes out, just smashes everything. It wasn't some culmination Marvel event after 20 movies building up to Endgame or anything like that. Just one movie crushed it. Like I said, 2.6 billion, nearing three billion dollars now. Um, and then this movie is already north of a billion dollars with with uh, just in 12 days. But I, and I saw a comment that Jim put up on screen. Somebody commented that James Cameron is more about making spectacle than uh, like a good movie. And I think that that is true. And that's me. That's coming from a big James Cameron fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, you can critique his movies by saying that the actual storyline are generally kind of shallow. I mean, mm-hmm. you recapped with the storyline of this movie and Avatar one in like three sentences. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about Titanic, which I think uh, one of my favorite like movie review people outside of you uh, talked about how Titanic was simultaneously one of the best movies ever made and one of the worst movies ever made <laughs> at the same time. Because, like, there is real movie magic going on there when you're seeing and living within the Titanic for two and a half hours or however long that movie was. But then, like, the whole Rose and Jack, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet storyline was, like, just phoned in. (laughs) So I think that he has, like, limitations, but he is there to make a spectacle. And when he tries to do that, he knocks it out of the park every time. I really, you know, I'm going to guess he has a huge ego. Just I never met the man. Just... Just playing the odds. But wouldn't it be great if a James Cameron can make a movie like this and maybe within the production, kind of call in a fellow filmmaker, maybe a great screenwriter and, and say to him or her, what can you do? What's missing here? What's wrong with the story? How can you improve it? How can you spit polish what I'm trying to present to the world? And those two people, or maybe even more, would collaborate and make this movie that had all the spectacle that James Cameron brings but some of the the gravitas, the, the sort of the heartfelt dialogue, the interesting themes that that another filmmaker could bring to the table, and I, I just wish that would happen. And I, you know, I, Quentin Tarantino has a similar problem. His his movies go on too long, the scenes go on too long. If someone came in and said, "Hey, Quentin, can you just maybe tighten this up, maybe tweak this even better?" But that's what you get when you have these big egos with big talents. And they 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 bring wonderful things to the screen, but they're flawed, and uh, it, it's frustrating because it seems so it seems so easy to fix. You know, in this movie, some of the dialogue, I mean, it, it's so anachronistic. I mean, I know it's I know it's fantasy. You have to swallow, you know, there's disbelief involved here, but some of it is 
it's just so cloying. And I think if my memory serves, you, you just saw the movie. You can maybe know it better than I. I think someone says, show me the money at some point. <laughs> <laughs> the, there, there are, the, the, the movie is dripping in cliche. I mean, that, that, that's coming from somebody that's going to give it a positive review overall. Yeah. But there were certain points where I turned to my, there was at least five points during the movie, probably way more than that, where I kept right. turning to her, rolling my eyes, and then looking back at the screen. I have uh, written here just a couple of examples. Okay. One of them, the main villain, uh, is talking to his you know group of, soldiers mercenary types and he's like before they land he's like listen we're not in kansas anymore and i'm just like oh my god can we have one movie about this type of stuff that doesn't have that line in it <laughs> there was another moment where one of uh the main character's kids is is having trouble fitting in and she says why can't i just be like some like everybody else or something like that it's just i was just like oh my gosh there there was so many elements of just yeah. like so I mean, even some of the relationships, we talked about the the family dynamic and all of that, but like the younger son not being able to live up to the the father's, uh, you know, wishes and and, uh, you know, just some of these things that are just like so like copy and pasted from other things are just littered throughout this movie. But I think like James Cameron uses those things mm -hmm. to attain that spectacle that he's reaching for. We don't have to get like dragged down into the nuance of a certain character when he's yeah. just there to fill a certain role. And he fills that role perfectly, just like, you know, the the villain villainous guy in Titanic or, you know, the very caricature uh, characters in Terminator, which I love. So yeah. it, that's just like a hallmark of James Cameron. But yeah, you, you can't you can't watch this movie without tripping over like. A plethora of those things and you know i enjoy the film i've got issues with the film but when you saw avatar you kind of didn't want to see it again after a while and it sounds like on paper you weren't enthusiastic about the story continuing you were just you were just curious as a filmmaker about the spectacle you love james cameron at the end of this movie i'm thinking do i have this great impetus to see the third film i don't i don't even remember i don't even remember the ending of this movie it just sort of ends, and and there's something that happens where you'll see certain villainous figures again. Yeah, but you really want a movie like this to end with both a finale and a sense like I can't wait for the next chapter. Sure, and I have none of that. And I guess maybe it's James Cameron's brand that he doesn't even need that anymore. It's a James Cameron movie. You know what he's going to bring it, and it doesn't even matter if the story is is or is not so compelling. You want to see more. Because I guarantee Avatar 3 is going to have a huge opening weekend. Guarantee it. Oh, sure. Well, and, and that's kind of my next question is like, what, what are the like, what do you think the legs on this type of thing is? Because the first movie, I said it twice already, made two point six billion dollars mm -hmm. uh, in its initial run. Uh, the studio with James Cameron, like immediately greenlit him spending like a billion dollars making three or four sequels, which he's doing. He already filmed uh, two, obviously, because it just came out. But he yeah. he already filmed three, according to you know what I've heard and parts of four even. So and these movies aren't going to take 13 years to come out. They should be coming out in the, the next couple of years, next couple of years. So does this franchise like have the ability to sustain itself at such a high level? level uh, th that's kind of my question for you yeah i mean i it, even james cameron says he doesn't know and he may cut short the franchise if it's not being profitable if the money isn't there and i think the, the craziest thing about everything in this conversation is this movie and he has said it maybe he's exaggerating needs to make two billion dollars to turn a profit now that's insane 
the fact that it rushed to one billion, it was like, yay, yay, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole the, the whole system that's in place here is that a film has to be so staggeringly successful to, to, to kind of warrant more stories. And that's not really the way it should be. Listen, there are expensive movies. If you're going to recreate something, if you need CGI, you got you to pay a big bill. I get that. But it just seems unreal that a film needs to make $2 billion globally just to be deemed successful. So it's hard to wrap my head around that. But I also think there's not much competition out there. I think maybe the, the new Ant-Man movie is two months away. So he's going to have week after week after week to kind of make some cash with nothing else that's, that brings that excitement like Avatar does. So I think this is a good chance. Yeah, you know, I, I like I said, I, 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 I have a general apathy towards the franchise, even though I've seen and really like the first one and the, and the second mm-hmm. one. Um, but yeah, like, is my enthusiasm going to be there for the third one? I, I don't know. I guess we'll see when the, yeah. when the trailers start coming out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know, Jim, you were going to jump in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it. Uh, and as Christian knows, my, uh, I, and my record of predicting box office, uh, like <laughs> a bomb or a hit is bad. Uh, Christian Toto knows this very well. <laughs> I was on his podcast, uh, years ago and I said, uh, that Captain Marvel would be a bomb. It wouldn't make a billion dollars. <laughs> I was wrong about that. Uh, in a text thread with Donnie and some of our friends, I said that uh, Avatar The Way of Water would uh, probably finish around 600 million uh, tops. Of, of course, they smashed that in like two days. So I was wrong about that as well. But what, you know, so Kristen, you liked the movie in, in general. Donnie loves the movie because mm. he does, he has terrible taste. So he doesn't, you know, really. <laughs> Uh, you, 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 Christian. Though you see the uh, you see the nuances that are that are that are missed by a lot of other people, I suppose. But what, what I find is, you you don't remember the ending. You just saw it, Christian, you, and you can't really recall the ending. The dialogue is laughably bad. Um, the idea of James Cameron calling in, even an even just a an almost amateur fanfic story right, right. doctor would probably be better than the dialogue that he has in his movies. Um, and I have a third question. Are they still looking after unobtainium? I mean, the, the <laughs> idea that he called the mineral that they're trying to go for, uh, that they're exploiting Pandora for, unobtainium, <laughs> is so absurd that it, to me it disqualifies the entire thing. Now, I saw Avatar 1. I saw it in 3D. It's the uh-huh. only 3D movie I've ever seen. It was a visual spectacle. But I was extremely skeptical mm. of the idea that Avatar, the, the, the sequel, coming out 13 years later, was going to be a big hit because you know avatar while it was the most successful the biggest blockbuster money-wise of all time it didn't seem as donnie was saying have any legs i mean people don't talk about the avatar cinematic universe they don't talk about it as this big thing that they can't wait to hear the rest of the story and again i haven't seen it but as you've described christian it's basically the same story a second time right i mean it's 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 the it's the natives who are having their their home world exploited by by evil you know white humans who just mm-hmm. want to take their things and make it for money and all that stuff mm-hmm. i mean how can this movie how could you like this movie with all of these other flaws and and i would and actually i i know what your answer is going to be it's going to be because it's a visual spectacle mm-hmm. like n- nothing anyone has ever seen i was skeptical that there would be anything new to show us when it comes to visual spectacles. We've seen it all, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I'm wrong about everything uh, on, <laughs> on blockbusters. So, you know, maybe you could chew on my uh, my stuff. No, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. You, you're right. 
You, you've got a franchise with no legs. You've got a story that doesn't speak to our hearts. You've got characters we don't care about. You've got 13 year gap. And listen, Tom, the Top Gun movie was much more than that, but, but Top Gun was really beloved and people you know, connected to it. And we were waiting for it throughout the pandemic. So there's, there's a little bit of uh, apples and oranges there. But it doesn't make any sense. You, you do have to see the movie to understand it. And listen, when I see a movie that has great visuals, and then the movie really is not interesting. Then I do check out after half an hour. The visual excitement kind of wears off. But Cameron has enough sense to put people in harm's way, to make new spectacles. And I think that one thing we, people don't talk about, about about Avatar, especially this one, is there's such an imagination at play here. There are gadgets that are used. There are sort of intricacies in the cultures, both the military and also at Pandora, that are just interesting that you just sort of go, oh, wow, there was a lot of thought that went into this. And as a moviegoer, you kind of appreciate that and respect that. So it isn't just razzle-dazzle. It's like, oh, they do this, or this is their machinery to make that. I, I felt there was a, a lot. I don't even know how to describe it accurately. I hope I am. But there just was a lot of depth in that way. Not storytelling depth, for sure. But also, you know, a basic story does appeal to us. The rom-com is boy meets girl. Yeah, it, it's formulaic to the core. We know the ending. You know, where's a surprise? Well, no, but it, if it's charming, if the leads are attractive, if there's chemistry there, it works. In this movie, you've got this family and you care about them because the mom and dad are loving and nurturing and they're trying to be protectors and they're trying to teach strong values to their children. Those things register with us as moviegoers. It's not yeah. just the the visual. It's more than that. Yeah, exactly. I think some of those themes, while just being, you know, uh, like copy and pasted from other things, like you were saying, like the, those do resonate with people. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm generally a, a new father. My kid's two years old, and I couldn't watch this movie without thinking mm -hmm. of the the youngest one of those kids as my kid. <laughs> and it was just making yeah. me want to go home and spend time with him, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and the same thing with Titanic. It's like how many times have we seen the story of the of the the you know the the kid on the streets uh mm -hmm. you know get uh falling in love with the 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 lady that was well out of his class and all yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the same story we've seen it a million times but james cameron just uses these stock things mm -hmm. to bolster his spectacle movie which again he crushes out of the park yeah uh, I mean, he's I, he's a populist filmmaker he knows the elemental things that we care about exactly. I, you know, I think clint eastwood's like that I think Tom Cruise is like that. I mean, to various degrees, you know, you can't be Clint Eastwood and be 90 years old and still making movies that people care about unless right. you really have a sense of what the audience wants, what they respond to, what they respect, what they recoil at, the, the, the emotions on the screen. That's why Clint Eastwood is forever an icon. Let, let me ask you about the uh, obviously one of the things about the original Avatar it was basically environmentalist leftist propaganda. Uh, mm. You could see it that way. Uh, how much of that element is in the second one? Because if it's basically the same message or the same story, it's got to be mm. the same message, right? I mean, you you talk and write a lot, Christian, about yeah. you know the imposition of leftist agenda into popular culture. So how does that rate uh, for Avatar two? I'm gonna hold my answer. I actually want Donald to to to, to weigh in on this first. I'm curious. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought the the first one was definitely very heavy handed with that. I mean, they were talking about like the unobtainium, which apparently that concept has roots in like old science fiction from the 60s, that term, mm -hmm. apparently. I haven't looked into that, but that's what I heard. Uh, this one is not as much. This is just like 
that guy, the main character from the first one, he stood in our way. He's creating an insurrection. We need to kill him. And then there's like an anti-wailing kind of thing that goes on in the second part of the movie. Mm. But uh, so the, the things that you're talking about, Jim, that were like really heavy in the first one, I think are a, a bit more subdued in the second one. I agree. I, I think there's no overt lectures here. I think that's to Cameron's credit. You have to be a blithering fool not to get that it's just a pro-environment movie, that we re respect Mother Nature, but it's told within the, the confines of the story. You know, it's these characters interacting with nature, and this is why it matters. And it didn't feel heavy-handed to me. I mean, you, you know where he's going with it, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I, I give him credit. If you're going to have those themes, and, you know, every filmmaker can have as many themes as he or she wants. That's just what stories are all about. But just don't make it obvious. Don't make it heavy-handed. I think they actually, in a way, he, he pulled back a bit and just let the story leave the message in an entertaining fashion. And I think it mostly succeeds. Yeah. So we'll see how it does. Um, I think a lot of estimates are suggesting it's gonna it's gonna do somewhere between one point five billion and two billion dollars, mm -hmm. depending on how uh, how long this kind of stretches out, uh, how long the viewer drop off is, or how steep it is. I guess over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, James Cameron, man, <laughs> never never bet against James Cameron. So. Yeah. Um, all right, I want to get to kind of what our main topic is supposed to be about, which is uh, streaming services and are they in decline? So over the past couple of episodes that we did with you, uh, Christian, we, we talked a lot about streaming services. Now, granted, this was kind of in the middle of, of COVID and no one was able to go to theaters. So they kind of had an artificial push to have content being pushed right into your living room via streaming services. But it seems like there um, seems to be a, a, a few hiccups when, with this. So every studio is mm -hmm. is kind of getting in into the arena, trying to get their portion of the the market space, uh, uh, you know, allotted to them. We've got Netflix was the pioneer, followed by Hulu. Then there's HBO Max, NBC, Peacock, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, mm -hmm. Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime Plus, and those are just <laughs> the main ones, right? There's a whole bunch of other ones too. Well, this plus plus, which is coming soon, that's really gonna yeah, that's just all of them blow the door up for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the the economic realities are coming coming to uh, bear now that you can't have a million ser services. You're all fighting for the same content, creating new, exciting, original, first run content ain't cheap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing. You know, Netflix is kind of you know uh, crunching some numbers and cutting back on things. You've seen Warner Brothers Discovery famously cancel a movie that was nearly done Batgirl because they want to save some money and maybe save face, you know, depends who you ask and who you, who you listen to. Right. It's getting, it's getting more challenging. I think you've got people who are probably, you know, subscribing to Netflix for a few months, watching everything they want to watch, then kind of going away then going to HBO max, binging there, going away. I do some of that myself, you know, where money is precious. So it's going to be very interesting. And I, I think that, uh, I think there is this sort of fantasy that they can keep throwing money at projects and expect to continue, you know, the same way it's always been. But no, there's too much competition, uh, too many fighting for resources. And, you know, it, it's hard to make these great shows. So it's, right. uh, 
Yeah, so this year, I got a couple of articles in the show notes, uh, one that's being shown on screen if you're watching the video version. Mm-hmm. And in it, they talk about some of these roadblocks um, that uh, that these these streaming services are seeing. Netflix reported their first ever subscriber loss this year. I think they had two quarters in a row of subscriber mm-hmm. losses. First time ever. Disney Plus falling well short of their subscriber goal. I think they wanted to have like 200 million or something. They had like 135 million. Uh, HBO is starting to take down content due to retention costs, and that's including premiere shows like Westworld, yeah. which is insane to me. That was like one of the shows that they were trying to sell HBO with, and now it's not even on their service anymore. And then, of course, the biggest uh, head scratcher, CNN Plus, lasted like five days before they shit can that. So, uh, hey, five days longer than I expected. So uh, yeah. there, there's a deadline article that I was I was uh, that I was looking at that uh, they described it as the 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 climate around streaming was shifting from blue skies to storm clouds. And then this mm-hmm. ringer article that Jim's got up here was suggested that 2022 was the year that streaming the streaming bubble burst. And we're, we're already starting to see like these streaming services like trying to claw for uh for something right so mm-hmm. we've seen them raising their prices uh netflix is introducing an ad supported version some of these places are clamping down on on password sharing mm-hmm. do you think that this is going to be enough or or is this an unsustainable model right now you know this is the area of of hollywood entertainment that i'm the least savvy on sort of the behind the scenes numbers crunching I, I i can't give definitive answers i just because i don't know the books i don't have the, the financial savvy but i think you're seeing sort of the signs that there's trouble ahead and the mm-hmm. signs that this can't go on forever and that's important to note and I, you know i really applauded netflix earlier earlier this year when they stood behind dave Chappelle and said we're going to support him we're not going to take down the the controversial special he did we're going to keep making projects with dave Chappelle. then you could say you know bravo that's free speech 101 or Netflix said, oh, my gosh, we're, we, we need more money. Dave Chappelle <laughs> specials make money. We yeah. can't just cut him away. So whether it was, you know, for noble reasons or or practical reasons, it happened. And so that right. that does matter. And then a few months later, we had Ricky Gervais, you know, poking fun at elements of the trans community in ways that would get a lot of people canceled. And, and there was hardly a, 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 an eyebrow raised over it. And Netflix sort of certainly stood by him and will make more stuff with him. So, yeah, I think they're saying, you know, woke is woke, but we got to make some money here. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think that what we're seeing at Warner Bros. Discovery is really kind of shocking. And I, I, I've heard other people say that, you know, with something like Westward, what they can do is instead of expending money to have it on their service, they could license it out to a competing platform and make money that way. So instead of losing some money with limited views, they can make money by putting it out there and kind of licensing it out. So we may see some of that collaboration on just as a means of survival. But I also think maybe some of these platforms will kind of join forces. We'll have to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, I, I heard on another podcast that uh, I don't know the accuracy of it, but I have no reason really to doubt it, that in 2022, more than 2000 new television shows or products um, mm-hmm. were produced. I mean, that's amazing i'm like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Half of those new... are marvel and star wars I, right. I would think half of those are marvel and star wars you know mm-hmm. and it seems um you know there's i think there's an, it's an interesting discussion uh about 
where streaming is? I mean, have we have we reached has the is it matured yet? I, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if you're making two thousand different productions to put out there on streaming, um, perhaps we aren't mature yet because that's way too many. There isn't a market for it. I think people are still trying to just flood the zone and try to get lucky, yeah. you know. Uh, but you know, Disney Disney's stock I think is down fifty percent at least. It's either forty five percent or sixty five percent. I actually can't remember. So let's just say it's down by half this year. Of course, um, you know they brought in Bob Bob Iger, who you know created modern Disney, uh, retired, handed the the reins over to Bob Chapek, who was allowed to be CEO for about maybe about 20 minutes without Bob Iger actually looking over his shoulder and telling him what to do. And then you just said, get out of here. Uh, I'll take over again. And so, you know, but Disney plus Disney plus has um, I think lost at least $3 billion. I mean, it, it hasn't made up the cost of producing it and buying all of the content for it. And I remember uh, and Donnie and I have talked about this. I remember talking to, um, uh, or, or watching like the, um, you know, the, the shareholder, uh, meetings, you know, that they have the presentations, right. And you have, you had at that time, Bob Chapek out there and Kathleen Kennedy, and they're telling all the shareholders, like all these things we're going to do. We bought star Wars and we're not just going to make a trilogy. We're going to produce 15 different television shows about, about characters you've never heard of or don't care about. And I, it, it, it seems to me when you spend $4 billion buying Lucasfilm for the rights to Star Wars forever, it's not good enough to your shareholders to say, we're just going to make three great, uh, we're going to make a, a great three movie trilogy uh, and continuing the story or telling a new story in the Star Wars universe. You didn't pay $4 billion for that. You paid so that you could do 25 different products all coming out at the same time. And in my mind, that was an enormous mistake because there aren't enough good creative people in Hollywood to actually produce 20 good Star Wars different shows and episodes, especially when some of these shows are, you know, 15 episodes long or 10 episodes long. You don't have the, you don't have the creative firepower to do this. So Disney paid $4 billion for Star Wars and then ruined it not just with the trilogy, but by trying to flood the zone and justify its cost by producing all these things that they imagined were going to be huge hits and make them lots of money. And it's actually turned out the opposite. They ended up spending all of this money to make all of this product that the people didn't want. And to me, that's the maturity of the streaming market because you know Disney is learning the hard way that uh, you have to produce good product, you have to release it on a, on a good schedule and you have to figure out what your audience actually wants and not just producing, you know, maybe your own woke agenda, pushing, pushing a leftist agenda through these properties that everybody likes. Uh, this is kind of an anecdote, but I thought it was so interesting. It was a, someone who's been in the industry for a while. I think he was a writer and he was talking about how, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, if you, you wrote a sitcom, you had to compete with the other programming that was running against it, maybe the 30, 40, 50 years ago. So it might be like, it's got this show, that show, that news channel, whatever. When you write a show today, you've got to compete against everything that has ever been recorded in, in the last <laughs> 90 years. Because yeah. if it's if it's Tubi, if it's Pluto TV, if it's HBO Max, if it's Netflix, there's so much content. And I just thought that was such a such a sobering point of view right. that if you sit down to write something, a story of any kind, that the competition is it, not. Don't even mention the fact that two thousand shows were written this year, whatever the whatever the incredible number is. But there's so many. There are so many ways to get 
to distract us. I could go on YouTube. I can listen to a podcast. I, I could watch. I love Lucy from the 1950s. My gosh, yeah. it's it's such a weird world we we live. In. And again, you can do it all like that in a right. second. And you know. to that point, like the show that I'm, we're currently watching, you know, like we put on when we're getting ready for bed is Seinfeld. <laughs> like, <laughs> Forget all those 2000 shows that came out this year. Yeah. I'm watching Seinfeld from like the, the early 90s. <laughs> you know? Like how you could compete with that? Turn on a podcast amazing. for free on YouTube an hour long every every week or yeah. something. You know, well, it's, it's because it holds up. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it holds up, especially compared to a lot of, you know, new new comedies, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I, I would to get back to what Jim was saying about the, the Star Wars. I mean, you kind of get what they were doing there. You've got this franchise. You've got this universe. You can put stories within the universe. But boy, did they screw that up. And, and boy, in just a few short years, did they diminish the brand. I mean, if the Mandalorian didn't exist, where would Star Wars be right now? So oh, I hear you. Know, you. I, just I'm been a... bungled. I want to save a little Star Wars talk for the end there because yeah. I do have some things to say about it. But uh, there's there's just a couple of other things. Um, the there was a in one of the articles that I was reading about just kind of the troubles that streaming is in. They were quoting a analyst, a media analyst from Morgan Stanley, saying, "quote The industry is clearly heading into a new phase. One characterized by one cost rationalization, two consolidation of services and or companies." And three outright exits from the direct to consumer, uh, direct to consumer business. So I have heard rumors uh, about Apple potentially buying Disney, and this seems crazy to to some people, considering that Disney is a massive company. But mm-hmm. it has been beset by a lot of problems in the last uh, couple of years. They, Jim already mentioned the new CEO, many failed projects, missing those subscriber numbers by a ton, mm-hmm. and that's just to name a few. So yeah. I wonder if there is going to be like a consolidation, like through this flood the zone phase of all every single channel amc plus everyone having their own streaming service like are we going to get to a point is this all going to shake out in a couple of years and there's just going to be three or four you know that, that's kind of my question but yeah i mean i i'd like to think and i predict that the consumer will come out the, the beneficiary of all this you know the competition means you got to get better stories better programming for sure and also if all these different companies are fighting for our approval They've got to be nice to us. They've got to get more content. They've got to maybe join forces and get more content on each particular platform. I think that's interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So we, we shall see. It actually, just I don't know why I haven't. It seemed like maybe an obvious example, maybe not. But look at the, the late 90s tech boom where you had all these different companies yeah. that were going to change the world. And then reality hit and most of them went away. Sure. Maybe we're in a version of that right now where, yeah, you know, I Netflix so. throwing so much money. You know, why did Netflix throw a gazillion dollars, and I'm exaggerating only slightly, to the to the Obamas. Now, take politics aside, <laughs> they have no track record of producing, you know, a superior content. The Obamas are a bright couple. They've got connections in Hollywood. I get that. But why would you need to throw them so much money? Why would you need to throw the royals so much money? You know, sure. it, it, it's, it seems silly in a way and unnecessary. Uh, would, would the Obamas say, okay, you gave us $100 million, we we wanted two, and we're going to walk away? Probably not. Because they want to get their hands in pop culture. They're smart about that. So I I just think that's been weird that they've been kind of pushing out this this money, this content in ways that that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And now they're 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 realizing it. Yeah. I mean, they're throwing that they were throwing that money because they could they they had it to spare. I mean, they were they had, um, you know, uh, 
angel investors. They had people pouring lots of money into it. I mean, Netflix wasn't generating a lot of revenue, just like a lot of these new media companies. Twitter, I don't think, has ever turned a profit. And, mm -hmm. you know, Elon Musk just paid $46 billion for it. <laughs> you know, people are buying these things because they see a potential in the future. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you could give uh, the Obamas $200 million to produce something, the stuff that nobody watches. Literally, nobody watches them. Yeah. Uh, they, in fact, they're so bad that they're not even promoted. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't remember. I used to, used to be able to see, I guess, for about a, about two weeks, I would see Netflix pr trying to promote uh, the stuff from the Obamas. And then it just went away because they realized nobody's watching it. So why yeah. waste the time? We have other things we need to promote. But you could do that because you had the money. And it was a it was a bidding war for these people. Um, you know, mm -hmm. there are producers. Is it uh, Ryan Johnson who got? Oh, no, I, actually, here's a better example is the uh, the D Dan and Dave, the two guys, uh, Benioff and what's his name, who who ruined Game of Thrones when they ran out of uh, <laughs> George R. R. Martin's. Or whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's right. When they ran out of uh, George R. R. Martin's material, they, they ruined it. Uh, they were given multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in a deal i think with disney to produce uh you know stuff for disney plus and also some movies and and that that, that deal just went away after <laughs> game of thrones was terrible and so nobody talks about them anymore but that kind of money was being thrown around and, and it was a great time to be a producer with one hit yeah that you can yeah. put your name on and then put yourself out for bidding in these streaming services but it, but that money is gone now i mean Disney Plus lost billions of dollars, and they're never going to get that subscription subscription rate that they promised their investors right. uh, and their shareholders. And Netflix is now has a um, what the as we Donnie mentioned it before, the ad model, right? You know, well, we'll just sell ads, but then people aren't really signing up for that, so they pretty much I think they're going to abandon that one as well. <laughs> you know, but but see, but there are other streaming services, and you mentioned them like Pluto TV and Tubi, and um, YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube content, and ads come up. And, you know, some of them I can skip, some of them I can't, but I always hit skip, but I'm used to it. It's fine. People are not going to put up with ha having ads suddenly show up on Disney Plus or suddenly show up on Netflix because they haven't been conditioned to expect it. And they yeah. think, hell, I'm paying, you know, 15 bucks or 20 bucks a month for this. And I still have to see ads for, you know, for stuff I don't want. Uh, so I think, again, I think the streaming market is is still in this maturing phase mm -hmm. and the, the the streamers that made mistakes like disney plus are paying for it dearly and you know the other streaming services that were smarter and a little less uh you know free with the money are going to be maybe the survivors in the end yeah. yeah i got i got one i got one more thing i want to mention about the streaming services i want your take on christian and, and that's uh, a couple of stories that are revolving around the streaming services seemingly eyeballing movie theaters as a potential mm -hmm. source of revenue Oops. so net netflix <laughs> and and ryan johnson's uh follow-up uh to the murder mystery knives out recently came out called glass onion mm -hmm. starring daniel craig and edward norton uh, Netflix, Netflix released it on their platform, of course, but they also did a limited theater run for it. And the movie did well in theaters. It only made $15 million, but that's because it was only released in 700 theaters, something like that. So some suggest, based on those numbers, that if the movie were to have done a, uh, were given a wide release, it would have made like $60 million. Mm -hmm. And so surely there's some executives at Netflix that are kicking themselves. Additionally, I have another article here talking about how Amazon is crafting a theater release strategy of their own. According to a Bloomberg report, internal sources at Amazon say that the company plans to invest $1 billion in theatrical film releases. So I feel like these are signs that maybe there is a major theater comeback uh, after us kind of counting it out the last couple of years because of COVID and, 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 and streaming services. So what do you think about that? You know, it's funny because I've just written stories like the last few days about how 
the numbers, the box office numbers are terrible this year. The overall snapshot is, is, is awful. It's Avatar or nothing right now in theaters. A lot of big names like Steven Spielberg can draw a crowd. So it is curious that they want to would go back to the theatrical model as a possible salvation. And, you know, and also I've been reading that, you know, Amazon Prime and Apple have other divisions. They don't just need Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus to survive. So they could lose money there and still build out their brand, whereas Netflix is Netflix. So they have to really be careful what they do. Um, yeah, I don't know. The theatrical model is so shaky right now. I, right. I, I mean, I literally just posted a story about why people aren't going to the movies. And I, to do it, I kind of reached out to people on Twitter just saying, you know, what are your thoughts? And they, they had a lot of very cogent thoughts. You know, it's too expensive. There's too much noise. Uh, I can get what I want at home. The content kind of stinks. So, you know, to see Hollywood thinking, oh, my gosh, we should go back to the movies now. Oh, boy. The but timing he- is rather, rather uh, dubious. Here, here's one more piece of anecdotal evidence for mm-hmm. you. I haven't been to the theaters. Uh, uh, Avatar 2, let's say it, put it this way. Avatar 2 was the first time that I went to the theaters since Rise of Skywalker in 2019. Wow. It, was the, it was the first thing that was like, all right, yeah, this is probably something I should go see on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from a person that we would go and see movies all of the time. Now, of course, COVID and, and the mm-hmm. fact that we had a kid recently were some of the more major reasons why we haven't gone to the movie theaters. But Avatar 2 was the first thing that pulled me back into it. And while I was sitting there, got in my seat, hit the reclining chair, had my popcorn and my drink and all of that. The lights go down. The the the, the trailers start going on. I'm like, I kind of miss this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll see if uh, if this thing turns a corner, especially once we get out of the COVID era. But um I do want to talk about Tom Cruise, Top Gun. Obviously, Top Gun, Jim pulled up that one uh, list of all the biggest movies of the year. Top Gun is at the top of that list. You could say what you want about Tom Cruise. Um, you know, you mentioned some of this in the article that I have posted in the show notes here. Crazy Scientologist jumping on couches, yelling at crew people caught on a hot mic, all of the stuff that might make you not like this guy. But the man seemingly knows how to make an action movie. He demanded much of the practical effects on Top Gun. He, that was like a precursor to him even doing it. He insists on doing his own stunts in the Mission Impossible movies. And he seemingly couldn't care less about catering to like this woke agenda that, you know, people on the right side of the aisle talk about. And this strategy paid off massively with the wild success of Top Gun Maverick, which currently stands at $1.5 billion global box office, with $700 million of that coming from the United States, which puts it at number five of all time domestic box office earners. So it seems like that's sending a pretty clear message to Hollywood. Do you think they're going to receive that message? Uh, they'll receive the message that sequels do well, and they'll keep, they'll keep getting in the Tom Cruise business. But I, you know, I, I, my line about Top Gun Maverick is that it was so apolitical, it was political. I don't think they've get. I don't think Hollywood is very slow to get certain messages. In the 2000s, when they had anti-war movie after anti-war movie after anti-war movie, they all bombed one worse than the next and took like eight of them before Hollywood said, we should stop making these movies. So I think it's going to take more than Top Gun to really kind of light the way. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, but you should learn lessons from the movie and you should learn lessons from Top from Tom Cruise. Because the dude is a movie star. He focuses on being a movie star. And when he rants and raves on the set, it's because he's trying to make the best movie possible. And I think that, you know, in recently he did the stunts, he put it on social media. He said, thank you. Thank you for making Top Gun Maverick such a huge hit. I couldn't be more fortunate, more full of gratitude. 
Right. How often do you hear that? Now, Dwayne sure. Johnson does that sometimes, but when is, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio coming out and saying, you know, I just love the fans. I love the people who have made my dreams come true. Uh, you know, uh, why don't we hear that more often? Instead, we right. get climate change or, you know, Trump is evil. And you could have those thoughts, but some gratitude right now from Hollywood for toward the people who make them super famous and who support right. their careers and their dreams would go a long way. And Tom Cruise knows that. And I don't care what he does off screen. He's a yeah, movie star. The, was it yeah. Jennifer Lawrence that was claiming that she was like the first uh, female <laughs> action lead or something like that? It's like, you know, one way that you could look at that is like, you know, the public just wasn't ready for a female yeah. action lead. You know, forget Sigourney Weaver, you know, forget Linda Hamilton or anything like that. Yeah. Carrie, she was Carrie for sure. Nice. Exactly. It's, a, it's an absolute joke. Well, she, yeah. she stepped in it so badly with that quote, she actually had to publicly apologize. Although her apology was kind of lame too, but wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're, uh, for those watching on YouTube, we're, I'm, I'm playing the, uh, the amazing clip. Uh, I think it's nine minutes shared on, on Twitter of Tom Cruise doing his own stunts. He in right. mission impossible. He right. rides a motorcycle off of a cliff, separates himself from the motorcycle and uh, base jumps for another several hundred feet. And then, uh, deploys his parachute and he did the stunt himself and he trained for it for weeks and weeks uh and here is you know they're showing him training for it and he ended up doing that stunt extremely dangerous stunt uh like 25 times to make sure they had all the right angles and everything it's just unbelievable uh that and and yeah i think tom cruise is probably the last movie star i mean maybe you could say that about brad pitt but you know has he really been in a blockbuster lately uh andrew mackie i think that's the character who plays um uh the falcon in uh, the Marvel universe, Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie. That's it. My, my fault. Uh, he, he had said, I, I saw it was like some kind of round table or something. And he said, um, uh, I'm not a movie star. Mackie is not a movie star. The Falcon is a movie star, uh, that these Marvel characters are the real stars and it can really be anybody in those roles. And, you know, we are going to see that they will continue the, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe with other people, I suppose, um, going forward. But, you know, Tom Cruise, yes, he has the Mission Impossible movies. Yes, uh, Top Gun Maverick, um, you know, was a huge hit. But it seems to me, and then here we are, we're still seeing him doing all of these jobs. He did like 500 jumps out of a helicopter to trade for this. I mean, I think he's an adrenaline junkie myself, but, you know, thank God he didn't kill himself because it's there you go, 500 <laughs> skydives. It's unbelievable. Uh, but, you know, but he seems like the last guy, you know, the last the last movie star kind of like uh you know arnold schwarzenegger the last action hero um are we is that do you think that's the case christian are we going to see anybody uh supplant tom cruise he's 61 years old he can't be jumping off cliffs the rest of the, for the next 20 years i wouldn't think uh he's very hard to replace uh clean eastwood is about 91 or so yeah you know i think maybe chris pratt uh chris gal pratt gadot has been mostly has been apolitical and been sort of her very positive. I think Kevin Hart is very positive in, in everything he shares on social media and his sort of brand. Dwayne Johnson, I mentioned before, comes to mind. But yeah, they're, they're the exceptions, you know. Um, I, he, you know, Brad Pitt, mid-50s, looks as good as he did ever did. Very talented guy. Very funny. I just rewatched Burn After Reading. It's a, just a wonderful film and he's great in it. But, you know, his Babylon just came out and it made no money. And he doesn't guarantee you fannies in the seats. He just doesn't. His right. bullet train movie came out at the end of the summer, had no competition and barely kind of eked over the $100 million mark. So it wasn't a flop, but it was not a big hit. wasn't a franchise. You know, movie stars don't bring in the crowds that much anymore. And Tom Cruise is one of the very few people who can. And, who can. and even Dwayne Johnson's uh, Black Adam, 
underperformed. There's yeah. no sequel plan. So that's Dwayne Johnson in a superhero movie. It's like the thing we've been waiting for. Didn't 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 do it. So that's what uh, we so we only have like five minutes left. Like I said, I want to bring up Star Wars and I have a couple yeah. of just kind of quick questions for you at the end. Um, so I, I'm i a big Star Wars guy. I think everyone knows that by now. Um, I was massively disappointed by the sequel trilogy. I liked the first one out the gate, but then the last two just didn't do it for me. Me too. Uh, but then Mandalorian fixed every every problem that I had with Star Wars. That, that movie was, or that show, was everything that I wanted out of Star Wars plus a little bit extra. So then I was like, all right, well, maybe the TV shows is where it's at. The movies, not so much. Maybe it's the TV shows. So then Book of Boba Fett comes out, total dud, followed by a less than stellar Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then Andor comes out. Have you given up on Star Wars or did you watch Andor? You know, it's funny. I have not seen many of the shows. I saw The Mandalorian. But I've heard nothing but great things about Andor. And I don't think it's doing that well, which is very interesting. I even saw that Hulu is showing some episodes. I think they were sharing content. With within the Disney, you know, empire, but I thought I took that as a sign that they they want to get more eyeballs on it because it's not faring well. But yeah. you tell me what were your thoughts? Yeah, so Andor uh, was incredible. It was easily the best content, Star Wars content out there, amongst the best Star Wars content out there since the eighties. Mm. Uh, critically acclaimed. Most fans are in agreement with this, but like you said, it didn't seem to do well in terms of viewers. And I'm wondering if you have a theory as to why. And I think that Jim already kind of brought up a theory where it's just kind of that uh, oversaturation. And again, when you have like a whole bunch of bad products that come mm -hmm. out, then why am I going to consume the next product that you have? Uh, is that generally kind of your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, it's hard to disagree with that logic. I think also it sounds like a more intellectual, a little bit more nuanced, not as sort of razzle dazzle as other Star Wars projects. And you don't have a lot of beloved characters in there. I mean, I actually thought that Rogue One was quite good. And so I'm not surprised that Andor is, is, is similarly strong. But yeah, I mean, if you keep getting Star Wars shows and they don't deliver again and again, mm -hmm. you know, then you kind of shrug your shoulders at, oh, the new one. So it, it, right. it's less special now. And, yeah. uh, and I, no, it's really I, good. I yeah. highly recommend it. Uh, it does. It's one of those shows where you actually have to pay attention to it. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with uh, House of the Dragon. You're going to mm -hmm. enjoy it more the more attention you pay to it. If you're on your phone fiddling around, and you look up every time action happens, you're not going to enjoy the show. Yeah. But yeah, I would highly, highly recommend anyone that likes Star Wars at all to check out Andor. Um, Jim, do you have any comments on that or should we get to some of my miscellaneous quick questions? Uh, I have nothing to add to that other than to say, like, uh, I'm going to make an executive decision as executive producer of this show. And if Christian can stay an extra 10 minutes or so, I'm going to make sure we get to some of his best and favorites of the year and his recommendations okay. for everybody. So, okay, great. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. That's, that's my Star Wars thoughts. <laughs> I didn't, Boba Fett was a total bomb, in my opinion. I did not enjoy that. Um, uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi was a, I think, a victim of the fact that it was originally planned to be a movie. And they're like, no, we need more content for Disney+. Plus. Let's turn it into a six-episode series. And it's like, if you trim that thing down to two and a half hours, it would have been good. But mm -hmm. then Andor is fantastic. Uh, so that's my Star Wars thoughts. I promised it in the thumbnail. So there it is. <laughs> Miscellaneous questions. Like I said, it's the end of the year. So obviously, I'm sure that you've started to put together some of your favorite movies of the year and some of your worst movies of the year. Let's start yeah. off with some of your favorites. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick was atop my list. Kind of no-brainer. I really enjoyed some horror movies this year. I thought Men was excellent. It was disturbing. It was original. It was scary. Uh, you know, the title sounds woke and the elements of the movie are woke, but it's it's so engaging. I don't care. 
Uh, X, I thought, was just solid horror movie 101. And The Banshees of Inisherin, I thought, was excellent. Uh, Colin Farrell's maybe best performance ever. Really thoughtful meditation on friendship. I thought She Said was really good as well. That was the the two reporters who helped bring down Harvey Weinstein. You know, mm. journalism is beyond corrupt in 2022. I hate to say that, but it is. And sort of going to the theater to see these two journalists do good work seems weird. But you know what? They did good work, and it's a good movie. So I, I recommend that one as well. And uh, I Want You Back was a very, very enjoyable rom-com. That's an Amazon Prime original, Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. Uh, just old school, smart, enjoyable, uh, unexpected for me because they don't make many good rom-coms these days. But those are just some of the better films I saw this year. Okay. Uh, the more fun side of the list, in my yes. opinion, is the worst movies of the year. Uh-huh. So what, uh, what are the couple of ones that top that list for you? I just rewatched Tusk last night. That was the Kevin Smith horror <laughs> movie, which is weird and funny and scary and creepy and loads of body horror. And it made me think, this is the same guy who did Clerks 3, which I absolutely detested. Oh, no. Oh, I, had, no. I, I had a screener of it. I, I kept pausing it because I needed a break. I just like, I can't just watch this <laughs> straight through. It's terrible. And, you know, Clerks, the original was wonderful and novel and, and fresh. But, you know, every other YouTube channel dissects pop culture you don't need kevin smith clerk movies anymore an absolute shameful cash uh, i have not seen that one uh i really liked clerks too even though that's a pretty unpopular it was opinion. solid it was okay yeah i was okay yeah, with that. i, I like that one a lot um yeah. but then the jane silent bob reboot was one of the worst <laughs> kevin smith movies i have ever seen so the fact that you're saying clerks 3 is also yeah. terrible disappoints me but it doesn't surprise me yeah and you know the critics were not nearly as harsh on it as i was but that there what it is is mm. to quote raising arizona i thought nope was a disaster i love i love um jordan peele i thought that us was good and i thought get out was great this is just boring and 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 it didn't even have sort of the social themes you can kind of dig into whether you like them or don't it's just a disaster i i don't know what he, i don't know what he thought when he was making that i hope he i hope he bounces back with his next film and then this one no one saw. It's called The Lair, L-A-L-A-I-R. It's a creatures are in a desert Afghanistan type setting and the soldiers have to fight them. Um, I love that kind of B-movie junk. And it's from Neil Marshall. And if you know the name, he directed The Descent, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. An essential, iconic horror movie. And this guy has lost his mojo because his last few movies have been weak, I'm saying that kindly, but the lair is a disaster. It's just mm. terrible. So those about, those flunkers come to mind. How about Jurassic Park through Jurassic World three? <sighs> that came out this year, didn't it? Yeah, you know, I didn't put it on my worst list, but boy, mediocre at, at very best. It just, you know, to get all these beloved characters back together, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill. What are you doing, guys and gals? What what's going on? This is a terrible. I, <laughs> I went from mediocre to terrible, but I made it in my emotions again yesterday. <laughs> it's not good. Let me just put it, it that. You way. just blocked it out of your mind. That's why it didn't come up on your uh, worst list. Yeah. It was it was too traumatic. You blocked it out of your <laughs> mind. Well, Christian, you mentioned the the movie Men, which I I'd heard of and it seemed kind of I saw the trailer and it seemed kind of interesting. So I'm I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, the actress I had seen, she, isn't that the same actress she played the lead female in the Chernobyl series? Is that the same actress? I, I don't know. Of? I think it's is it Jesse Maybe. Buckley. Okay. Well, I should have looked it up on. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But But just looking at the trailer, it had a European feel to it. Like it had like a Scandinavian feel to it, uh, whether that's true or not. And it just made me think, um, 
is is are you more likely to find success trying to find uh film or pop culture or television shows that are not made in the united states that are not hollywood products like big corporate hollywood products um in general or what you know it's hard to say i don't watch as much european content as i should i watch some of it uh, and i'm not really i'm not really spoiled on hollywood movies in general i still think there's good stuff coming out from time to time and you know independent films they don't have some of the rules and regulations that the big blockbusters do so i think you can still get some good content here stateside but yeah sometimes you do get some wonderful surprises there was a polish horror film from a couple of years ago i think it was called nobody sleeps in the woods tonight it was on Netflix and it was amazing. It was like an old school 80s slasher made recently, had a sense of humor, had great scares. The sequel was terrible, but, uh, you know, a Polish slasher film. Who 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 could think of that? But it, hmm. it exists. It's great. It's worth seeing. And, uh, you know, I, I do give Netflix and other platforms credit, but they are reaching out across the seas, across the globe, bringing in some really great stories like the Squid Games show, which was mm-hmm. a little overrated, but still very enjoyable and clever and engaging and was a sensation for the right reasons. Is there uh, anything that you're looking forward to in, in 2023 that's coming out? You know, off the top of my head, I'd have to say no. You know, actually the mission impossible, the dead reckoning, the first of the two part series. I love that series. I think it's getting better with each installment. There's a new quantum uh, quantum mania sequel. That's the Ant-Man and the wasp. I love Paul Rudd. The trailer didn't wow me. I'm a little afraid that that, that series, yeah, which, has been sort of, which has been low-key great in a way. I mean, just sort of fun and humorous and the stakes are small, but enjoyable. I feel like it's going to fall off the wagon there. I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I got to think about that more. I haven't done research on 2023 yeah, titles. But. In the Avatar 2, they had the trailer for the Ant-Man. And the first like 10 yeah. seconds, I was like, oh, this might be fun. And then the rest of it, I was just like, I don't think this is for me. But yeah, then the Guardians you, of the Galaxy, that looked a lot more fun. I could does, totally see that one being good. A much better yeah. trailer. By the way, I, I don't like to ever comment on actors or actresses the way they look. You know, Wade Gain, getting older. Evangeline Lilly is a wonderfully beautiful woman and a good actress. I've never seen a haircut worse. <laughs> that trailer I for, believe. Oh, my, oh gosh. my God. It was like, they were, so, I mean, like, I don't even know what they were trying to achieve, but they, they made her unattractive, which seems physically impossible. But so give that hair. So my, I'm glad you said that because my wife turns to me during that trailer and says, are they trying to make her look like Paul Rudd with that haircut? <laughs> Oh, I thought that was so funny. Um, yeah. Oppenheimer was, is a movie that they had a trailer for. And yes, that, yeah. to me, looks really good. Uh, that's the new Christopher Nolan movie. I mm-hmm. can't think of the main actor. That's the, the name of the main actor. That's Killian, Killian Murphy, I think. It, that's it. it. Yes, yes, that's yes. his name. Yeah, that one, the trailer looks amazing. I, I'm it's, a big Christopher Nolan fan. Uh, so that one is one that's yes. kind of at the top of my looking forward to list. Absolutely. Yeah, anything, anything Nolan. I didn't like uh, Tenet, but anything Nolan is worth is worth anticipation, worth a look, worth getting excited about, for sure. Yeah, and that movie actually came to mind because Jim brought mm. up the Chernobyl thing, and it feels like it kind of has that same mm. uh, tone and, and style, at least, to that. So... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> great great producer work there jim pulling up <laughs> an image of evangeline lily with that uh haircut jim any any last questions for our guests here well yeah actually i i i wish well i want to take advantage of having christian on this because you and i talk about stuff uh this kind of stuff a lot uh during lunch and, and you know during breaks around here at the at the heartland institute office but uh a theory somebody i had read the other the other day really seemed to to land with me and i just wonder christian's uh thoughts on it and it's that 
genres of movies basically kind of have a 15 year uh like mm. uh, kind of a 15 year window right like um like for instance like uh, westerns right like westerns were really were really big in the uh in the in the 50s um, of course they were big you know stagecoach was what i think 1932 or something like that john wayne's first big star turn but you know that westerns for instance they have their time and then they kind of fade off and then they may maybe make maybe make a comeback like uh, i think silverado was in the 80s and i remember when that came out it was either silverado or one of those other ones from the mid 80s that had uh you know, it was like, wow, the Western is back, you know, mm. because we hadn't had a good Hollywood Western in a long time. And then you had a few of those. And of course, Dances with Wolves is a great example of that. And then it kind of fell off. You don't see Westerns so much anymore. Uh, and that well, it peaked it, at 1993 with Tombstone. But yeah, that's exactly right. There you go. And so it made me think about like superhero movies. Like so they mentioned that, uh, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of it seems to have lost its energy. Uh, the actors are aging out. You know, how long is Chris Hemsworth going to be, uh, mm. you know, looking like Thor? Probably Probably not for very much longer. Uh, of course, Robert Downey Jr. is in his 60s. And even in that last, uh, the Endgame movie, Avengers Endgame, you know, you could see his age a little bit more because, you know, Iron Man, which kicked it all off, uh, really was 2008. And so you do the math. It's been about 15 years uh, mm -hmm. for the superhero movie genre to kind of, you know, just peter out. You've, you've run out of stories to tell. People are not impressed with it anymore. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, the Batgirl movie was just canceled they spent 300 million dollars on it and it was so bad they just they just threw it in the garbage <laughs> it's never going to be seen by anybody uh so what do you what do you think of that and, and what also made me think of it christian was was your mentioning of uh the rom-com you saw this year that was you know kind of a throwback there hasn't been a good romantic comedy in ages but mm -hmm. the 1990s when you and i were in our 20s was kind of the the glory days of the rom-com i mean meg ryan was a huge star starring basically in nothing but romantic comedies yeah. and of course uh you know uh it, it's so do you do you agree with that do you think that's a pretty good theory that that these these movie genres have their time and that they peter out and then maybe something else will replace it i don't know you know i mean they get you can think about action movies are are perennial uh, Westerns really have struggled to come back. We see a couple now and then, but I don't think they're back back and haven't been that way in a while. And I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think the superhero one is very unique. And I do think that the energy, the creative energy is, is, is fading. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know why, maybe it's just how many, how many great stories can you tell? Uh, maybe they just know that even mediocre superhero movies make money, so why even bother? I don't know, I, I, but there is something cultural that goes on and that embraces a certain kind of story, and then it kind of fades to black. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I agree, but it, it, it does, it does overlap with reality to a certain degree. Uh, I, I mean, I'd love to see superhero films continue, just get better, just you <laughs> know, reclaim what they were, and 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 we'll see what happens from there. But I, I am, I'm actually pessimistic about it. I think I've seen too many. Listen, if if you watch She Hulk and you still think that superhero <laughs> movies have a future. I got nothing for you because that's a, it's a, an abomination of a show. So, no pun intended. Um, so All right. yeah, I don't know. Well, we I, are I already, we are already 10 minutes long of our, of our hour long show. Uh, we're already long on the 10 minutes long of our hour long show. So I think we should probably wrap it up here. Um, okay. But I do want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode of the, in the tank podcast. You can, Find a, a new episode every week. And for those audio-only listeners, like I said, that are ca probably catching this on a Friday or later, you can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time and jump in the show, put in your own comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, if you would 
do be so kind, you could help the show out by hitting that subscribe button, sharing this content, hitting the like button, even leaving a comment underneath the video on YouTube, all help break through the big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much that's pretty much it when it comes to that stuff. Christian Toto, I want to thank you for being on with us. Uh, like I already mentioned, HollywoodInToto.com is where you can go. Uh, is there anywhere else that people should go to see uh, work from you? Yeah, um, I'm at Outkick.com, The Daily Wire, and my rebooted podcast should be in early February, The Hollywood and Toto Podcast. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Jim Likely, uh, any kind words for the fine people? Uh, no, uh, happy, <laughs> no. Uh, happy. No, I have no kind words for the people. <laughs> Other than to say Happy New Year, everyone, and thanks for watching <laughs> the show. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next next week.